Hey, everybody. Welcome to No One Told Me, where we believe hindsight is everything. My name is Callie, and if it's your first time listening, I just I want to give you a heads up of what we're trying to do here every single week. We want to take our stories and our experiences, and we want to turn around and share them with those who are coming behind us, right? Because what we really want to battle is that sense of isolation, that sense of I am the only one who has ever been through this. Because it's in these seasons that we start pushing people away, right? We start believing the lie that we're on our own and we have to figure it out on our own. But if more of us would share our stories, our moments of, man, I did not expect this to go that way. If we can come alongside each other and say, hey, here's what I wish I had known when I was where you're at. Here's what I wish I had done differently. How much differently could we move forward, right? How, how much more confidently could we walk knowing, oh, there are others who have been where I'm at and they're on the other side of it. Now, this week in particular, I do want to lean into a conversation that happens a lot around here. It's focused on purpose. It's this tension between wanting to do something that matters, wanting to discover and lean into your gifting, but in the middle of it all, you, you want to cultivate this understanding of how to continue pursuing Jesus and all of it. I think at times, honestly, we overcomplicate it a little bit, which is why I love this episode. What if we break it down to the most base concepts of what Jesus asks of us? Instead of taking all these personality tests or, um, you know, trying a million different things and hoping something clicks or sticks, what if we went back to the basics? Identify a need and meet it knowing that along the way, God will continue revealing each next step one at a time. We have to identify and fight this hesitation to do anything until we understand everything, right? We put off moving forward. We put off a next step because we don't know what all the other steps after that will look like. So we stay safe and we stay comfortable, even if we're a bit unhappy, a bit unsettled and discontent in it. That's not a life of faith. We don't have to see the full picture to be confident in our next step. That's why I can't wait for you to hear this episode from Katie Davis Majors as she shares her story of faithful steps on a path she couldn't always see clearly. So Katie, originally from Nashville, but that's not where you have been for a long time. So in your first book, Kisses from Katie, you talk about a mission trip to Uganda, right? And we go on these mission trips, and we're impacted by like, what, a week or two? And we're like, that was incredible. I will remember this forever. Back to normal life. But here's what blew my mind when I read Kisses from Katie, you were 18, senior in high school, you go on your trip, you come back, and you're like, everything has to change. So let's start back to not when you returned to Nashville, but when you decided to leave, kind of what led to that decision and how you were so confident to go in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. So I had gone on, like you said, a short term couple week trip over my 
Christmas break my senior year in high school and my mom and I were serving at an orphanage in Uganda and I met a pastor and his wife there. They didn't live at the orphanage we were serving at. They ran a different orphanage and so they invited me to come back. They said, do you want to come back and spend a year with us? You can live with our family. You can volunteer at the orphanage. You can serve. You can teach on our little preschool program. And so my eyes had just, of course, been so opened to how people live in different parts of the world. And um, I had applied to colleges and gotten into a few, but decided I was going to take a gap year and go and spend a year in Uganda. And while I was there, I mean, I just continued to fall in love with the people with, I mean, Uganda is just like a beautiful, beautiful country with the kindest, most hospitable people. And so I just loved them so much, but I also had my eyes opened to a lot of things. And one thing that was really surprising to me as, as someone, I guess, from the Western world, or I just had this certain kind of thought of what an orphanage was and what an orphan was. And so as I started to get to know the kids that lived there, a lot of them would talk about their parents their mom or their dad or their grandpa or their aunts or their uncles. And I'd be like, wait, what? And they would even sometimes go and visit their parents. And so I just started asking a lot of questions because I think I had really like bought into the mindset that like, well, if you live in an orphanage, your parents have died or at the very least, like they didn't want you. And so the fact that these kids were still able to visit their parents and family members was surprising to me. And as I just started asking more questions of my friends and community members, I, I, I realized that a lot, I think the latest statistic, which this has been several years, was that over 80% of children in institutions in East Africa have at least one living parent. And so basically, the more I kind of dug in, the more I realized a lot of the kids that I had come to love were in the orphanage simply because their families were poor and not at all because their families didn't want them, didn't love them, didn't want good things for them. But the communities really thought that sending your child to the orphanage was a great option because then, you know, the children who lived at the orphanage, they could go to school and they could eat three times a day. They had access to medical care when they were sick. And that was really tragic to me mm. that so many of these kids were separated from their families because of just a lack of financial resources. And so I started really small. There were two girls I knew who were at risk of coming to live in the orphanage because their grandmother couldn't really afford to keep taking care of them. And I said, like, well, what about if I for them to go to school and provided you guys with some food? What would that, you know, would that help you? Would you want to keep them at home? And she said, you know, she teared up. She said, absolutely, of course. And then as I told this story to my parents and some friends and different family members back home and kind of relayed the message that like, hey, for a couple hundred dollars, like I'm able to help these kids like for the entire year go to school and eat and stay with their family. And so friends and family members of mine back in the States were like, oh, I can send you some money. Like I want to help a kid too. And so it just grew really organically like that. So within the first, probably within the first eight or nine months that I was living in Uganda, I 
was sending 40 kids from our community to schools, raising money from friends and family in the States, and then helping kids over there get what they needed. And I decided to found a nonprofit so that I, mostly so that I would have like a legal channel to be like a bringing in and redistributing money. So I founded a Mazima, and that is, that's my ministry that I still work for today because it became really important to me as I formed relationships with these families. It was really important to me, not just that they be able to stay together as a family and have access to what they needed, but also that they knew the truth of Jesus who loved and created them and, and created them to be valuable. And so I would meet with these families and do Bible studies. The kids would come over and like sit on my cement little porch in the evenings and we would study the word together and they just became great friends. And so that grew and grew. Like, like I said earlier, we've been back in the States for about a year and a half, mm -hmm. but I Uganda then for the next 15 years, growing this ministry that went from 40 kids to 60 kids to 100 kids to six, seven, 800 kids. We eventually, today, we have 300 Ugandan staff and we oh, have wow. separate school campuses that we've run where these kids, they come to school, but moving from the U.S., to Uganda just kind of blew apart my worldview and just changed my view of everything, including God. He kept giving me, he never kind of revealed the whole picture, which is great news because I would have been scared and I would have run away. But as I kept saying yes to the different things that he put in front of me, he just like grew this whole big thing that I never could have imagined. And also in my time there, I went on to foster and then adopt. We have 13 daughters. 13. I, so, yes. I also, I met my husband in Uganda. He was there working with a different missions organization. We met and became good friends and then later became more than friends and got married and went on to have two biological children as well. So yeah. Wow. That is, I mean, that was more than you asked for. No, but, but it, yeah. it, it's the outline I want to work from because if you think about what you were 18 and you were like, okay, I'm going to take a gap year. I'm just going to go for a year and then I'm going to come back and get back to normal life. And I think what's so hard to really, for most of us who are living in the comfort of the lives that we have built for ourselves, right? Like we have gone after what we're told to go after. It's one of those moments that the question just keeps coming up is how do you, how did you know, okay, this isn't just a year. This is actually the calling on my life. And like you said, God didn't say, okay, first we're going to do this for this many years. And then we're going to do this and you're going to adopt children. You're going to start an organization. You're going to meet your husband. Like he didn't lay everything out because a lot of us would be like, okay, if he would lay it out, absolutely. I'll, I'll, right, I'll right. jump into that. Sure. That that's great. I believe it now, but it's in believing it before it happens, I think is where a lot of us get caught up. And so, you know, you want to live this life of obedience, but obedience, but you struggle to navigate, okay, obedience in what direction, right? Like, okay, I believe I, I want to do this. I have faith, but how do I know I'm doing the right thing? How did you step into what God was asking of you with confidence? How did you cultivate a faith that was like, I'm walking away from relationships. I'm walking away from like friendships and community and I'm starting all over. How did you maintain that confidence way past just a year? Right. Sure. 
Wow, that is a great question. I mean, I think it's it's a bunch of things. I mean, I think at 18 years old, you know, it's convenient when God calls you to the thing that you want to do. Sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a lot different when I felt that God was calling us back to America and I didn't want to come here. Right. So to obey when you don't want to is a little bit harder than to obey when you do want to. And so I think it helped that I really did love Uganda. And so I I, I felt in my spirit that it was what God had for me, but like, I also wanted it. But that doesn't mean that there weren't really hard days and there were really lonely days. And like you said, I left behind relationships and it took a long, long time to build new relationships overseas. So there were times and days when it felt very, very lonely. And I wondered if I had totally lost my mind. And honestly, in the first year, I probably would have quit, but I had so many People say to me on this side, like, you're not going to like it. You're not going to stay the full year that I think I just kind of stayed the full year to prove them wrong. A little bit of that stubborn, like, I'll show you. Yes, I will, I'll be miserable, but I'll year. stay this it's whole year. Miserable. Exactly. But I mean, I think that God, I think that he does give us a love for what he's asking of us. I mean, I really do think there's joy in being where God calls us to be. And that doesn't mean it's not excruciatingly hard. Like we see in scripture, like Paul found joy in prison. That doesn't mean he wanted to be in prison or that prison was awesome or that prison wasn't excruciatingly hard, but that the Lord still gave him joy and the ability to praise him. And I think for me, honestly, I mean, people ask me now when they see, we have these huge, beautiful school campuses in Uganda. And like I said, a giant staff and so many kids and families that are being served. And people are like, wow, like you're such a visionary that you dreamed all of this. And it's like, okay, that's in me somewhere a little bit, but also like, it really wasn't that I saw it all from the beginning, but just that I said like, okay, what can I do to meet this need? And I think we can do that from anywhere. We don't have to be on the other side of the world. We don't have to know a specific place, location that he's calling us to. Like we can love and serve our communities wherever God puts us. And as needs arise, we can say like, okay, Lord, how would you have me meet this need? And so I think a lot of young people are really wrestling with this question of like, what does God want me to do with my life, right? And I, I think because I did something so kind of different and unusual and maybe by extraordinary with my life, people think like, oh, I'll ask her. She'll know what to say, you know? You tell me what I should do now. Like you, you have a clear line. It really was just like responding to the needs that God put in front of me and watching him kind of grow that and let it unfold. And there were certainly, I mean, times when I thought like, okay, I'm never going to get married. Like, this is not going to happen for me. There's like not going to be anyone who sees this life and is like, yeah, I want in on that. Or I mean, I definitely said many multiple times with a lot of just insistence, like, oh, we'll never live in America. Like I had fully like we were going to spend our whole lives in Uganda. I had all that mapped out. I knew exactly what it was going to look like for my baby. They were teenagers in that context. And then like, here we are and we're building a different life. And in the same way, like, I don't see the big picture. I don't know what God is going to do with us here, but I know that he's given me his word and he's given me instructions there for how to live and how to trust him and how to walk with him and how to serve those around me. I do really have a confidence that if I continue to follow the guidelines that he's already given me in his word, like he's going to turn this into something, even though I don't know what that is yet. 
Yeah. And that's the hardest place to be in is it's almost like we think we're entitled to know like, okay, we gave you our yes. So now you tell me how this is going to play out. Like show me the steps and make it really clear because I did my part. So now like we, we formed this plan in our head of God's part in it. Right. Um, but I talked about that a little in my new book, yes. Safe All Along. I just wrote a book. It's called Safe All Along. And I talk about that a little bit. I talk about how dependent I was on Google Maps when I first moved here, right? Which how did anybody move to a new city without Google Maps? I do not know. But I kept the map on constantly. And I just talked about like, now I turn the map on even when I know where I'm going sometimes just because the comfort of like the blue line kind of showing us where to go. And I think our humanness, like, we want that. We want God to like lay out the map and say like, this is where you're going. But instead he invites us to trust him and to know, like, I don't know where I'm going, but like, God, you are going with me. And that is actually going to be better. Like going with you is actually going to be better than having it all mapped out, even though it doesn't always feel that way. Yeah. It's like, God, I trust you, but I would trust you more if you would tell me. Show me. Like I'm in, but just, just give me a little hint. But you talked about those moments, Katie, of, of doubt when you were like, okay, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to move back to America. I'm only going to live, you know, like just those days. I think it's, it doesn't, I think it's almost like whatever amount of doubt or faith that you have. I think about David in Psalms and some of his Psalms are like, God, what are you trying to do here? You know, like I, you know, that he's described as a man after God's own heart, but yet some of his Psalms are like, I'm kind of ticked. Like, I don't like what's going on. I don't appreciate this. But in those moments of, of doubt, just these unexpected moments that create that unexpected doubt, like you're, you're heading in one direction and you feel good about it. And then all of a sudden something shakes it up like unexpected loss or an obstacle that maybe you experienced while you were serving in Uganda. Will you share a little about the period of your life that led to writing the book in between Kisses from Katie and your newest book? I think the second one is Daring to Hope. Is that right? Daring to Hope. Yes. How you learned to use that doubt almost like a springboard to growing your faith instead of letting it just make you want to, okay, I'm getting it all wrong. I'm, I got to change course. I got to try something else now, you know? Yeah, Definitely. Daring to Hope was such a sweet book for me to write. I mean, it came out of a really, really hard season. We had decided to open our home to just a lot of different people who were in need of help. Our house was right near the local hospital. And so a lot of times there were families that we knew through our community who needed a place to stay that was closer to the hospital so that they could access medical services. Sometimes there were families who maybe their kids were at risk of going into foster care or being taken to an orphanage. And we thought like, okay, instead of going to that step, like what if mom and kids come and live with us and we can offer some support and keep the family together? There were lots of different Different scenarios, different just people in really hard situations that came to live with us during that season. Unless everyone think I'm totally crazy. The way our house was set up in you got I mean I am, but the way we passed crazy at thirteen kids, Katie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we do. <laughs> Exactly. The way the house was set up in Uganda, we had our house that we lived in as a family. And then we had this other little house kind of in the back. It's just the way the property was built. And so when I say we let these people come live with us, there were times when they lived inside our family home, but there was like safety and protection for my kids as well. And there was some separation, but we had people come and live with us. And I think it was the first time really in my life that I saw a ton of my prayers going unanswered and where I would really like pray and hope and believe for healing 
and still have a mom die Mm -hmm. and still have to tell her five little children that their mom wasn't coming home from from the hospital. I prayed and prayed for years for a friend of ours to be delivered from his addiction. And he would, you know, he would recover for a time and then slip back and recover and slip back. But ultimately it's what killed him. And just kind of asking like, God, what, what does it look like when I put all my faith in you and I put all my hope in you and I truly, truly believe that you are going to answer and you don't answer in the way that I had hoped? And how do I keep like scooting up next to you with my hope and my expectance and my faith? Like, how could you ask me to keep doing this? Because it hurts, you know? And my natural tendency is to guard from hurt. And so the only way to really guard against that would be to not hope in you and not expect that you're going to do something, right? Like, should I just resign myself mm-hmm. to, to not be expectant. And I, I, I feel like I love the story of Jacob, right? He's, he's about to go and see Esau and Esau, the last time these brothers saw each other, Esau said like, I am going to kill you. Mm-hmm. And now God has called him to go back to this brother. It's been years and years and years and years. They're now grown ups and they have kids and wives and all kinds of, you know, cattle and camels and things. And God's like, no, you got to go back there. And Jacob's terrified, Mm -hmm. obviously, because he's like, this guy wants to kill me. Right. And so I think we feel like that sometimes, like, God, I'm terrified to put my hope and my trust in you because, because I could be disappointed because I could get hurt, like, because this could not go well. Right. And Jacob wrestles with God. But when he wrestles with God, it says that that's where he sees God's face. And so I feel like it's been my own experience that as I bring those honest emotions, the fear, the doubt, just like you were talking about with David, like David says some stuff in the Psalms that I'm like, Oh, David, I don't think you're allowed to say that to God. Like, how are you still alive right now? That was a little too much. Right. And yet, a man after God's own heart, but maybe he's a man after God's own heart because he brought his honest heart to God, right? And so I just got to see through this season, honestly, that like the answered prayer is not the ultimate thing. Mm. It's not the greatest gift. It's not the reward. God with us, God's presence, knowing more of God's character, whether it turns out like we wanted it to or it doesn't, that is the ultimate. That is the reward. That is what we're after. And so we do pray to him and we do hope and we do wait expectantly and we don't do those things desiring to change the outcome. We do those things because bringing our heart honestly before God, like Jacob, like David, it changes us. It mm-hmm. makes us more like him. It makes us more aware of his presence with us. And so daring to hope that's where the title came from. Like just my renewed kind of courage to go like, I am going to keep hoping in you. I am going to trust in you. And sometimes that's going to go great by outside standards. And sometimes that's going to look like a giant mess by outside standards. But ultimately, like I'm going to know God more and that's what I want. Mm. I had a friend and she dropped by earlier today and we were talking about like being in in-between spaces where you're confidently walking in a direction and and you know God's presence is with you, but you're also like, am I getting this right? Is this, 
Is that, you know, you have those shaky, you have those shaky moments or days. And I've probably the past like two or three months, I've woken up in the morning and I always want to ask like, before I get out of bed, like, God, what do I need to remember today? What do I need to know That's just great. for today? Right? Like, what do I need to? And the one thing that he's been so consistent about is I'm steady. So you feel unsteady. You feel like you don't have your feet firmly planted, but I'm steady. And I think what I've learned most in this season of a, probably about a year is when I have all of these questions and I think my end result should be an answer, right? I should have a solid answer that's easy for me to discern. The end result is a better understanding of his character. It's like, he's like, let's take it back to square one. I need you to remember who I am before you help me with all these questions. And that's probably the biggest trait he's revealed to me this year is his steadiness that I don't change. I'm not just guessing at what I want for you. I'm not just like surprised by what happens each day. I'm steady because I already know how this day unfolds. And so it is, it's exactly what you said, that daring to hope. It is a little scary to hope because if you hope, that means there is room for disappointment. And I think a lot about like the pandemic in 2020, we all just stopped hoping. I feel like, like, yes. <laughs> we're all just like, we can't hope anymore because Never. it always ends up disappointing. So we're just not gonna, right. And so that's what I love about that whole concept that you write about is I know it's a little scary and it requires a lot more faith, but it's in doing that, that you learn God's character more and more. And so you are now back in Nashville, right? So you you went through that season, those 15 years in Uganda. You've moved back to N Nashville. Your organization is continuing to grow. You're momming this whole crew and honestly probably just trying to stay on top of everything. But I feel like when our pace of life increases, I've noticed that one of the first things to go is our peace, right? Like we start asking all of those questions again and fear begins to grow that maybe maybe, okay, we need to adjust, we need to change because it's a new season. What has it looked like for you in this past year and a half back in Nashville? You're not in Uganda, you're back in, in America. What has it looked like to just cultivate that deeper peace and maintain it? Are there any moments that you think of that you had to remind yourself who's leading, knowing that you didn't want to leave Uganda, you had to come, like, you didn't want to do that, right? So any moments you can think of that you're like, I really want to throw my hands up and just go back to what I know, but I'm cultivating a deeper peace in this season. I mean, basically every moment of the first year felt like that. Like I said, the pace of life here was so much faster, is so much faster, so much busier than, I mean, we were in this little tiny rural town and you got, life was just slow and super super relational and you didn't really need to be on time very often and just yeah the kind of like go 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 and the scheduling that feels kind of inherent to American life and city life that really caught me off guard and it definitely increased my anxiety not to mention the fact that I hadn't really ever lived here as an adult I mean I moved out of my parents house to a completely different context and so the things that you learn to do in the context of adulthood, you know, get your oil changed or pay your water bill or whatever. Like I learned how to do all those things in a completely different place. And so I came here and felt like I was moving to a foreign country because I didn't know how to do anything. Sure. And then all of my kids born and raised in Uganda. So they were in a new country too. And trying to shepherd them through that. I mean, it was really hard. And it was so funny because I started writing this book before I knew we were moving. Oh, wow. Uh, 
And and so the whole the whole premise of the book Safe All Along is trading our fears and anxieties for God's unshakable peace. And I started writing it based on a picture that I felt that God had given me as I came out of kind of a season of anxiety in Uganda. And I thought I had like overcome and conquered my anxiety. And then I moved to America and have more anxiety than I'd ever experienced ever. The capital of anxiety, honestly. (laughs) So I mean, a lot of my author friends say like, you write the book that you need, right? Mm -hmm. And so I felt like as I was writing, it was not just for like some reader out there. It was for me. It was the Lord teaching me how to pause, how to calm my thoughts, how to replace my anxious thoughts with scripture, how to schedule in rest. So I didn't just always feel frantic and crazy. I felt like he was teaching me to pray again, like David, to bring all my honest, like hurts and fears to him and not feel like I had to have it all kind of like neatly packaged up before I started talking to him about it, me to praise him like Paul in the prison, like Mm. when I didn't like it and it didn't feel good and I couldn't see the ending. And I, you know, I wasn't, it would have been so easy to just run straight back to what I knew and what was easy and what was comfortable, but instead to trust him that he had something for us here, even when like, I really could not see how that could be possible. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you, you talked about the things that you've learned to do. And I think as I've gotten older, I've learned the value of practices like routines that like just ground you a little bit when nothing else is in your control. Do you have some of those like routines or practices that you're like, okay, these are the things that I know I'm going to do. I can't really control every minute of my day or everything that happens. But these are the like routines and practices that I'm going to lean into so that when the uncontrollable happens, I'm in a better position to take that on. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of them are like so simple that it, it felt funny to even like write them in a book because it's kind of like, well, duh, like people could figure this out on their own. But I feel like, you know, as moms, especially sometimes we need something really simple to grab onto. I don't have time for this whole elaborate five-step thing, right? But I do some little things throughout the day. I mean, a huge one for me is just memorizing scripture and having scriptures that I'm focusing on memorizing. And it takes me a long time to memorize them. So like, no, no shame in that. But you know, I write it down. I usually stick it on the mirror, you know, sticking it in a place where I can see it and repeat it back to myself and repeat it back to myself. And for me, what happens is when those anxious thoughts start to spiral and I am imagining the worst case scenario and I have like, you know, raced into the future and, and there's all kind of catastrophe there that like hasn't even happened yet and probably will not happen. And you know, when you're just like so upset about something that's just hypothetical, instead of just letting those thoughts play out, kind of going, okay, stop. And just repeating scripture back to myself. And so that place that is filled anxiety and filling it with something else that is true instead. That is just like an all day, every day mm-hmm. practice that I come back to over and over again. And then just just remembering to surrender to Jesus the things that I get so worried about. I mean, I think often we get worried about the things that we love most, right? Our kids, our spouses, people that we love, our our jobs, our lives, like lives that we've created for ourselves that God has given us that are full of good and beautiful things. Like these are the things we don't want to let go of. And we, when we see that something might be encroaching or disrupting, that's when we start to get anxious and fearful. And just, 
a practice for me every morning. I feel like my, my anxiety is worse in the morning or like if I wake up to pee in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, <laughs> middle of the night. Woo! You might as well just stay up at that Those point. Those yeah. can get so loud. And so a practice for me that again is so simple is just to close my eyes and go like, okay, Lord, I give you fill in the blank, you know, mm-hmm. this kid, this situation, this whatever. And sometimes I can say it once and then go back to my scripture that I've memorized and I'm okay. Sometimes I have to say it like 10 times and even just like opening my hands and just imagining myself giving that to Jesus over and over again and knowing that he takes it, right? His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He takes that from us and then replacing it with speaking the scriptures back to him and even to myself. I love that it's not just releasing, but replacing. So a lot of times we're just like, okay, here it is, here it is, but there's still a hole there, right? There's still something that wants to get back in there. And the self-awareness to be like, okay, I'm stopping my thoughts here and I'm going to release them, but I'm also going to replace them with something else that fills that gap. And, you know, one of my favorite things from safe all along is a quote that I had seen. I can't remember if it was shared on your socials. I can't remember where I saw it. But it said that making my path straight doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to show me the path. It means that he knows the path and is going to make sure that I get to the end of it. Because we we think of, if you grew up in church, you've heard the passage before about Lord, you know, like God to make my path straight. And we think, okay, if he makes them straight, then he's going to show me what it is. That's how I'll know it's straight. But I love this concept. It means that he knows the path and is going to make sure that you get to the end of it. What led to that realization for you? Well, it was like, oh, that kind of moment where you're like, okay, I see now what that kind of how I need to walk this path. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a slow process. God gave me a really clear picture kind of in the middle of my own struggle with anxiety that I share in the book where my daughter and I actually got caught in some rapids in the Nile River. Where we lived in Uganda was right by the river and our family loved to go camping there. And she was about 19 years old. So she was older and a good swimmer and we had on life jackets and whatever. And we had jumped in to swim in a current that looked like it was going to bring us kind of right around to the shore. And instead we got pulled out into the open river and I was able to get myself up on the shore, but I couldn't reach my daughter and get to her. Went around the corner where I couldn't see her anymore. And so of course I panicked and I was so scared and like mother's worst nightmare. It doesn't matter if your kid is two or 20, like it's your kid. That image alone is just too much, you know? And so I was, I was panicking. I was praying. Long story short, my husband and our kids came from this side and I heard our daughter coming from the other side and I saw her. She had gotten out. She was fine. I was so relieved. She was like, not, I was like, are you so, were you so scared? And she was like, no, I figured I'd get out another way. And I was like, man, I remember being that confident at your age. What happened to that? Anyway, as she and her sisters kind of went back to the campsite and I finally found my husband and hugged him. Of course, I just like lost it. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm so stupid. I can't believe I want to swim there. And, you know, I thought I lost her. I thought she was gone. And after he let me kind of have my meltdown for a minute, he grabbed my hand and he said like, hey, come on, I want to show you something. And he took me high up on this hill, up on the riverbank where you kind of 
could look down and you could see the river from way up high. And so from up there, you could see all the twists and turns. You could see like there were plenty of other places that she couldn't could have gotten out. There was a little there was a little island that she could have swam over to. And then there was another bay where the water got really still where she would have been able to get out. There were all these places that she could have gotten to safety. And I just remember thinking like, oh, we were safe all along. That's where the title of the book came from. And simultaneously, our family had come through some really hard years and some really difficult things that had sent my anxiety really, really spiraling. And I remember like standing there and looking back over the last few years of our lives and thinking, wow, like we were safe all along. Like here we are, our whole family's together. We're happy. We're fine. Like, yeah, we're a bit banged up. It was still some hard years, but like, we're okay. And God always knew that we would be like, we were safe all along too. And so just this idea that like, Oh, it was, it was such a picture of like, this is you in life, right? Like we're just, we're here. We're eye level with the rapids. And all we can see is like, this is scary. This is dangerous. This is chaotic. I'm not safe. And we panic, but ultimately like God sees the whole path. Mm -hmm knows all the twists and turns. He knows how he's going to be with us on it. And he knows that he's going to bring us safely to the end, which is eternity with him. Like that's our promise that no matter how bad or how dark things are now, like we have eternity with him and he's going to bring us there. And so that was just the picture that I held on to as I wrote this book and a picture that I've gone back to over and over again in my mind as like situations look bleak. Just know like, God, you see this from such a different perspective than me and you know how you're going to carry me through it. Mm. Oh, that's so good. I, I didn't know the story behind the title. So I love, I love that little bit of insight. Katie, we end every episode with just one question and it's always one of my favorites to ask, but it is, what are you so happy that someone did tell you about? Okay. Wow. I, I could pick like a lot of different things right now. I think my most recent favorite thing that somebody t told me about was I was in Uganda several months ago and I was sitting with a friend and she said that she had heard in a podcast that he was asking God two questions. And the questions were, what do you want me to know? And what do you want me to do? And it's funny because it came up last weekend with another group of friends. So it must have been a popular podcast. Anyway, that has been my most recent life hack that I'm really holding on to is like when I feel like I don't know what to pray or again, I'm walking into a situation that's giving me a lot of anxiety, just stopping and going, okay, God, what do you want me to know? And what do you want me to do? And spending some time in the quiet, just like really trying receive those answers from God. And I feel like it's really just, it's shifted the way that I'm praying from just being a monologue, like me just like blah, 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 talking and talking and talking at God to a dialogue, like inviting, like, okay, God, tell me either by dropping it into my spirit or just by leading me to the right scripture. Tell me what you want me to know. Tell me what you want me to do. Mm. You don't know what's really funny. I was sitting at a friend's house three days ago and she talked about those two questions and yeah. that podcast. <laughs> 
last like three days. We gotta find the podcast. It's good. I think it it was Jenny Allen's. It's Jenny Allen's podcast. And I think it went live in like November, but I went and dug it out because I was like, these are good questions. I was the same way. I was like, I need to remember these. Katie, before I let you go, where can people find you? How can they get involved in what you're doing? How can they find your books? All of that good stuff. Yeah, so I am on Instagram, Katie in Uganda with an underscore at the end. My website is katiedavismajors.com. So even from there, if that's easier, you can find my Instagram, you can pre-order books, you can kind of link to anything. And then our ministry is amazima.org. So that's A-M-A-Z-I-M-A.org. And you can see all the great work that we're doing in Uganda that way. And it is so fun. You even have like a whole like timeline of where you started and it goes all the way down to where you all are now. It's just, it's so much fun. But Katie, you are such an encouragement. And I think for anyone who's just trying to figure out how they can serve best, just where we started, where you said, where's there a need and meet that need one step at a time. So incredibly encouraging having you on today. So grateful you had the time for it and can't wait to read the whole book. I'm I'm excited. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me.